women have a unique role in creation. Women are the nurturers, the birth givers, the more spiritual of the genders. And Torah teaches that women have a special status. Join Mashi Lipska for the next hour as she expounds the Torah wisdom specific to women. Only on 101.9 High FM. Wonderful to be with you again. Yes, Erev Shabbat. And we have a double parsha. A double parsha means that we're going to read one, but we're going to read two portions this week. And they are indeed incredibly inspiring parshas. In fact, we encounter the three Jewish leaders, the children of Amram and Yocheved, the incredible leaders, Moshe, Aharon, and Miriam, in Parsha's Chukas, in the first Parsha. And it leads into the second Parsha, a mysterious but exciting Parsha. The only portion in the Torah where the coming of Mashiach is made reference to in a veiled yet extremely, extremely clear way. Where are we? Where are we now in our lives, in the world? We look to Torah. It can give us guidance and strength, direction, and that's what we need. In fact, the word Torah is from the word Hora'ah, Moreh, Morah, Lehorot, Horim, guidance, direction. Torah is a guide. Hashem didn't just drop us into this world and say, survive. He said, here it is. I want you to have a life of light, love, connection. I want you to have a life of joy, a life of inspiration. And therefore, we are complicated. The world is not so simple. But the direction is there. And if we take that direction, it's a beautiful fit. Because the Torah tells us everything we need to know to understand ourselves, to understand the world, to understand and to relate and to react correctly to whatever happens to us, around us, and in the wider world. Indeed, we are never alone. We'll be right back after this short break. You're listening to Conversations with Mashi only on 101.9 High FM. And we're talking about the inspiration that Torah offers us at every turn, and particularly with the portion of the week. The first Chabad Rebbe once said, One must live with the times. What did he mean? That we must change to fit in with modern times? From his brother, from the holy tzaddik, Harav Yehuda Leib, they actually got a bit of elucidation. The Rebbe was saying we must live with the Torah reading of the times. That the Parsha of the week offers us insight, guidance, support. 
an incredible upliftment for whatever time we find ourselves in. And today we want to begin by speaking about an amazing phenomenon. We find that in the desert, the Jewish people were led by a cloud. And the cloud did many, many things. Firstly, it protected them. There were six clouds, one on either side, north, east, south, west, one underneath, one on top, and a seventh cloud that led them, that stood upright like a pillar, that guided them to where they had to go and stopped and showed them where they should encamp. This cloud that swept along in the front served another function. And that cloud's function was that it smoothed all of the all of the mountains, all of the hills to make it easier for the Jewish people to make their way forward. It was miraculous. It actually was able to make their walk so much easier. It made the ground, the sand firm so that they shouldn't find it difficult, slipping and sliding. It caused every snake and scorpion to lie quietly and not harm them until every last Israelite had passed over. It did smooth all the mountains so the Jews would not have a hard time going up and down. But in the Parsha this week, where we hear of the passing of two big tzaddikim, Miriam and Aharon, sister and then the brother of Moshe Rabbeinu. It mentions and then clarifies for us that three mountains, three mountains remained. The first mountain that remained, of course, was Mount Sinai. The second mountain that's mentioned here or mentioned in the commentary and brought by Rashi is Har Navai for the burial of Moshe. And the third one, Har Hahar, the mountain of mountains or the mountain of the mountain. <coughs> Three. What is a mountain? A mountain is a sign of might. It stands higher. It sticks out. It protrudes. It's different. A mountain is also a symbol of separateness, of holiness, of being above the world. Three mountains. The Mount Mount Sinai, upon which the Torah was given. That was one mountain. And then Harnavol, which was a mountain set aside for the burial of Moshe Rabbeinu, although chronologically in the Torah, he is only going to pass away at the very end of the last book. One mountain called Nevol, remained for the burial of Moshe. Just as Mount Sinai has to do with Torah, guidance, Moshe, Moshe was the one 
who received the Torah from the hand of Hashem and gave it over to the Jewish nation. And we're not talking just about a book or a scroll or the two tablets. We're talking about Moshe Rabbeinu, our teacher, whom Hashem taught, who taught us, who looked after us, who guided us. Harnival remained also a symbol of Torah. And thirdly, the third mountain, Hoyer Hohar. That was left for the burial of Aharon. The burial of Aharon. Aharon was a symbol of love. A symbol of Ahava. But as we learn in Pirkei Avot, what did Aharon do? We are bidden to be emulators of the disciples of Aaron, to love Torah and to love people. He loved people. He pursued peace. And he brought the people close to the Torah. Aaron's love wasn't just non-ending or misguided, as it were. He wanted people to feel happy, inspired, connected, uplifted. So with his love, his patience, his listening, his reconnecting people, it was all done according to Torah and in order to bring them closer to Torah, which basically indicates that he wanted people to be uplifted and happy. He wanted people to be connected to their mission in life. We'll be right back after this short break. You're listening to Conversations with Mashi only on 101.9 High FM. I'm Mashi Litzker. It is Erev Shabbos of a double Parsha. We read two Torah portions this week, and amazingly, there's another double in the Parsha. And that is, and I'm going to read you what Rashi tells us. Rashi is talking about why is the mountain that Aaron was buried on called Hoyer Hohor, the mountain of the mountain. And Rashi tells us as follows. It was a mountain on top of a mountain, like a little apple on top of a big apple. And then explains what we already said, that since the cloud that led them in the desert cut down, equalized, smoothed down and made even all of the mountains, but three remained. Mount Sinai for the giving of the Torah, Mount Nevo for the burial of Moshe, and Hoyer Hohar for the burial of Aharon. Like a little apple on top of a big apple. Knowing that all the analogies of Torah have to be exact. There's such a beautiful and exciting teaching here that is so uplifting indeed. Let's go back to talking about what is a mountain. A mountain, we said, is a sign of might. 
above the norm. A mountain is also a sign of separateness, holiness. Holiness is not holier than thou, but holiness is a perspective. Holiness is a separateness, not to exclude yourself, but in order to be a light and a guide. In the world, yes, the mountain is attached to the ground, but above the world, towering high into the sky. The fact that the Jewish people were led by a cloud, every detail has to fit in as a lesson for us. Number one, we must be humble. All those mountains were equalized. We mustn't feel above, arrogant, and and full of ourselves. We must be modest. Just like the cloud led us. We have to walk humbly, straight, not arrogant. However, three mountains remained, and they're all connected to Torah. When it comes to matters of Torah, we must remain tall, proud. When it comes to matters of Torah, we must remember that each and every one of us has a part to play. Each and every one of us must be there in order to be a light, a symbol, a sign in Hashem's world. Remember, Mount Sinai, the Torah was given on it. Mount Naval, the one who received the Torah and gave it over to us, is buried there. And the third mountain, Hoyer Hahar, well, Aharon, the symbol of love, of Ahavat Yisrael, of devotion, who loved peace and pursued peace. He loved every one of God's creatures and he drew them close to Torah, to guidance, to their mission in life. He uplifted them. Let's look at the place of love in all of this. How is love connected to Torah? Well, we see that only when the people stood together, unified, and the nation encamped around the mountain as one man with one heart, when Hashem saw that, we are told, he said, now's the right time for me to give them my precious gift of Torah. Love and Torah are connected. Love is the basis of Torah. Love is the basis of Judaism, love and peace. These three had to remain. Standing tall, the symbol of Torah and the symbol of love. So where must you be a mountain and where must you just be humble? Here it goes. When it comes to my own personal life, my own behavior, my own actions, my own interactions, humility, listening, humble, the way I interact with the world, with people, must be in a refined manner, in a manner that is full of dignity, but in a humble way. 
But when it comes to the standards of Torah, of Yiddishkeit, it's very clear. We have to stand confident and tall. We have to be proud, not apologetic. There's such a thing as Jewish pride, but we didn't make it up. It's there in the Torah. It's not about my personal greatness, pride, power, honor, but it's for the dignity of the creator of the world according to the instructions, according to the guidance of Torah, which means guidance. The dignity of Yiddishkeit. It's not in my hands to, God forbid, bring it lower. It is my job to do my part to maintain the dignity, to elevate the dignity. In my life, humility, understanding. Somebody may know better than me, but when it comes to the standards of Hashem's Torah, there's no way. Next to me here today, I have Sarala. Last week, when my darling granddaughter Sarah came onto the radio, it was her very first time. She spoke very softly, and she told us something about her life in Mauritius. Sarah and her family are still not able to go home. They've been here since after Purim, many months. Sarah, since you've been here, have you still been going to school? Yeah. How? Even before Corona started, um, I've been on online school. Online school? Yes. What's that? It's when, so, um, they made, um, um, a program that, um, that you, so you sign up and then every day you go in and you go into classrooms and you can actually talk and see what your teacher See your teacher, listen to your teacher, see your friend in school, and you can. How many friends do you have? Who's in your class? Do you know how many girls there are? They're, um, about ten. Ten, and do they live in Mauritius? No. Where do they live? They live all around the world. Can you mention two places that some of your friends live in? Pittsburgh and Australia. Wow, wow, and so you were able to continue your schooling. Yes. I see. So you don't go to school in Mauritius? No, not in, not in buildings, but we go to school. Um, we have a small classroom. We have a teacher that comes. Um, she's French and English and Hebrew and she helps us. Why must she be Hebrew? Um, she helps my mother with, um, um, with helping on school for Jewish kids around Mauritius. Well, before we came to Mauritius, there was no Jewish rabbis, no Jewish community. And slowly, when we came, slowly, and we, more and more people came into the Jewish community. Wow. What sort of things does the community gather for? For um, the Jewish minhugs, for Shabbos, for for holidays, for Shavuot. And where does all that take place? Um, in different places, but one, um, one, one Rosh Hashanah in our house. So every day, every week, um, 
on Shabbos, everyone gathers to our house, and um. And what happens there? Um, 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 um. There's a small corner in the room, um, in the house, um, um. That they make shul. Shul in your house. Yes. Amazing, amazing. What happens after shul? We have a whole. Um, we have a whole. Um, we have a whole lunch. A lunch. Wonderful. And you say that it changed since you came. Yes. You think the people are learning. Yes. You think they want to learn. Yes. And is it a happy community? Yes. Wow. What about kosher food? So my mother and we have nannies that she teaches how to make kosher food. So um, so we, she makes um, boxes and then containers and then she sends to Jewish people. Amazing. What about? Well, they come to pick up. Amazing. What about things like challah for Shabbos? My father takes um the things and he he goes and chops off. Well, where does he get it from? The bakery. My mother makes it. Amazing, amazing. So there's lots going on yeah. from your house in Mauritius. Yeah. So we're going to talk to you a little bit more at the end of the show and find out why you're there. Okay, so Bobby's just going to continue a little bit and share the next exciting part of the Parsha. So we said that there were times when we need to be humble in our own behavior, but when it comes to Jewish pride, we mustn't be small at all. And that's why these mountains, not only did Hashem leave them in the desert, but he didn't shrink them at all. They remain standing tall. But we hear that our sages tell us that the mountain that Aharon, who loved people so much, was buried on, was an interesting mountain. It was like a little apple on top of a big apple. Now the question is, why an apple? It could have been um, a nut on top of a pumpkin, or a small pumpkin on top of a big pumpkin. But everything in Torah is exact. Let's talk about the apple tree. Normally, when a tree blossoms, first come the leaves, and then come the fruit. What is the job of the leaves? The function of the leaves is to prepare, to receive, and then to protect the fruit. The apple tree is different. Even before the preparation and protection of the leaves, the fruit begins to grow. Now, the fruit is the goal of the tree, and the leaves are just the protection or the preparation. But there's a message here. Why the apple? Where the leaves come after the fruit? What's the hurry? And the message is, of course, that when we stood at Sinai, we said, Na'asha we're going to do whatever you say, Hashem. And later, we will study about it, we will learn about it, we will hear the reasons behind it. We will do, we said. That's the fruit. The goal, even before the preparation. That is a symbol of the Jew. We might even say, that that is Mesiras Nefesh. 
Masira means to give over. Nefesh means your soul. But our sages tell us that the word nefesh can also be translated as our will. Because when you really desire something, it's your inner soul desire. So Masiras nefesh, which we translate as self-sacrifice, is actually Masiras harotzain, giving over our will, as it were, submitting our will to the will of the Creator. When the Jewish people said, we will do, and then we will learn and understand. We're not going to question now. You tell us to do, it's your mitzvah, we will do it. Our goal is to bring the guidance of Torah, the godliness of Torah, to the desert, to the world that doesn't know about it. And when it comes to that, there's no place for humility. We can't say, I don't know enough. Who am I to teach? Not at all. We have to say as well, I will do and I will teach others. I will be a symbol. I will be a mountain. The apple is the symbol of Tyra. An apple on top of a big apple. There is no place for humility, only pride. We must become humble in terms of being devoted to the mission. We have to be the apple. And we have to stand higher than the mountain. Higher than the environment. Higher than what other people might criticize or say. We must do action, which is why the Rebbe encouraged action. Put on tefillin, light a Shabbos candle, give a coin into tzedakah, study something, display Jewish books in your home. Action, action, action. You might say, well, I know myself. I'm not up to that level. I'm not fooling myself. I don't know that much. What in the world am I displaying Jewish books for? A muzzle's on the door. Okay, it's enough that it's a symbol there, but to have a kosher scroll, a scroll of a high standard. I'm not there yet. Tefillin. Sometimes I put on. I don't really need to check them. I'm not on that level. A symbol of pride. We need to be that symbol of pride. When something's important to you, you put everything into it. You want to look nice. The dress mustn't just be any dress. The hat, the shoes, the suit, the tie. I want to fit in. I want to look good. What about our Yiddishkeit? Where's our pride? Where's putting our entire self into who we really, really are? We need to be there to shine the light of Tyra. We must give others the taste of the apple. The Torah is a treasure. We must share. We must include. And we'll be right back after this short break. You're listening to Conversations with Mashi only on 101.9 High FM. 
we're speaking about where to be filled with pride and where to be humble. When we are proud of our Judaism, it's not that we're proud of ourselves. We are meant to be assertive as well as loving and gentle all at the same time. We have a treasure. This treasure belongs to all of creation and the mitzvahs belong particularly to the nation that said, we will do and then we will learn. There's no place to say I'm so small. I'm not going to fool myself. Am I up to it? Maybe first I need to study, fix myself, refine myself. No, no, no. We have a huge responsibility. Torah tells us, you may be a little apple, but you sit on a big apple. Who is the big apple? What is the big apple? Of course, the big apple is Hashem himself. And the big apple is also the leader of the generation whom Hashem has sent and has empowered. And the leader of the generation that empowers us. We look at the story of Moshe Rabbeinu. The people were considered the legs of Moshe. Moshe was the head. They were the ones to carry out what Moshe taught them. Every generation has a leader. We must share. The Rebbe has encouraged us to bring mitzvahs to others, to be an example to others. Yes, in our generation, the Rebbe is the big apple. Sent, empowered by Hashem himself to uplift the generation. We can be the apple on top of the apple. Yes, I may be small. But I can cast my influence over the entire desert because that's my mission. And here we have Sarah and Mauritius. Do you feel that sometimes, Sarah? Yes. You do. Sarah is a small girl. They're one family. But with consistence over the past years, look what has happened. In front of their eyes, they've seen a transformation. We must understand we are not here on our own power. We are empowered by the creator of the world. And we will succeed in carrying out the mission that he has or the plan that he has for all of creation. That it become a dwelling place for Hashem. Hashem never leaves us alone. We have the Torah and we have the Torah guides, the teachers who point us in the right direction who help us, who assist us. And at this point, we want to speak about the time we are entering now. Tonight is the 12th and Sunday, the 13th of Tammuz. In 1927, our Rebbe's Rebbe, the previous Rebbe, was incarcerated in Soviet prison, in a horrific prison, tortured, and kept in solitary confinement and interrogated, and he did not break. Why was he in jail? He was in jail because of his love of Hashem and every Jew and all of creation 
and his Messiras Nefesh, his self-sacrifice, that no matter what it took, he was Naaseh before Nishma. It wasn't a calculated risk, as it were, what's going to happen to me. It was a calculated understanding of what will happen if I don't do. And the Russian government would not have minded if the previous Rebbe taught a couple of little groups, older people, but that's not the Rebbe. Previous Rebbe organized a network of underground chadorim and yeshivas to teach the children that the government could not bear. But of course we know if there won't be young kids, there won't be old goats. That's the expression. If there won't be little ones, im ein gedoyim, ein tiyoshim. We have to emphasize Jewish education and pride and dignity and activity and involvement of our little ones. Each and every person from the time they enter the world is important to all of creation. And we mustn't give up. We mustn't think it's not going to work. What's the use? Hashem sent us. Hashem will help us. And I have an amazing story. We told it once years ago, but it's about a young couple who moved to a town and established a Jewish day school. For years they worked hard and they began to see the fruits of their labor. However, their success drew the attention of some members of the local Jewish establishment. And these people felt threatened by the accomplishments of the new couple. And they began to put pressure on them. Who gave you the right to open up institutions in the first place? Besides, your success will be short-lived. Why are you putting in all this effort? You won't be able to maintain it. It became very, very difficult. So they turned to the Rebbe. Rebbe, what should we do? The Rebbe hears their distress, their self-doubt. They're feeling that how can they stand up against these established institutions in the city? So the Rebbe told them a story. And he said, in the 18th century, there was a great scholar called Rabbi Yonason Ibishitz. The governor in the area liked him very much. But there were anti-Semitic ministers who whatever, at every turn, tried to undermine his relationship with the governor. And they maligned him at every opportunity. One day the governor decided he's going to put an end to this simmering conflict between the rabbi and the ministers. What did he do? He called all the ministers and the rabbi, and he informed them that he's going to hold a competition to determine who was superior. And the competition was going to be a chicken race. And he said the owner of the chicken, who reaches the finish line first, would be the champion in the battle that was going on in the governor's court. Okay? Needless to say, the ministers got onto it. They chose their roosters. They began to feed them well. 
on the day of the competition, said the Rebbe. They presented their fat, strong chickens at the starting line. Rebbe Yenison, however, showed up with a scrawny little chicken. And the race was on. In the middle of the contest, these plumped-up roosters began to fight with each other. They attacked each other. They scratched. They tussled aggressively, completely ignoring Rabbi Yonason's skinny little chicken. Meanwhile, his gaunt, haggard little chicken, who didn't seem to have a chance, inched its way across the finish line. And that was the story. If you stay focused, you can defy expectations. And the cloud led us in the desert, and we were focused. And we continue to be focused. And this puny Jewish nation, that's us, are going to make it to the finish line. Great nations who tried to oppress us are no more. And we continue with our mission to bring love, even if it takes Messiris Nefesh. The previous Rebbe in Russia stood up against the government. Previous Rebbe stood up against a massive, massive infrastructure. They imprisoned him. They tried to break him. It didn't happen. Because when you're attached to Hashem and Torah, you are the small apple on top of the big apple. And the previous Rebbe's legacy was actually these two things, Ahavas Yisrael and Mesiras Nefesh. Love, true love, lasting love, determination to help others, even if it takes self-sacrifice. In fact, the previous Rebbe was imprisoned seven times. The first time, Sarala, when he was just 11 years old. He had it in him. And the story goes that he was once walking through the marketplace from Cheder on the way home for lunch. And he loved being in the marketplace on market day because he had a special fund that he lent poor people money so they could do some business and earn a livelihood. How did he earn the money? Through saying Mishnayas by heart. He would practice Mishnas by heart, and his father would test him, his father the fifth Rebbe, and he would reward him. Well, he's in the marketplace, and he sees one of his clients, and suddenly a burly Russian policeman attacks this client, Reb Dovid the Butcher. He slaps him, and his nose begins to bleed. With great indignation, the child, 11 years old, rushes at this big mountain of a man, pushes him with all his strength. How dare you touch the innocent? How dare you attack Reb David? He's pure. He's innocent. The policeman was so shocked that he actually told his assistant to take the child, and the child was thrown into a prison cell. He was smacked, he was cursed, he was beaten, and he was in prison. But when he got out of jail, his father said to him, what an absolute privilege. You defended 
the helpless. You defended a fellow Jew. What a privilege to sit in jail for that. And while he was in jail, what did he do? He was able to practice the huge amount of missions that he do, knew by heart. And that actually transported him. He forgot he was in jail. He was so uplifted. The previous Rebbe's birthday is tonight. He was born in 1880. So it's a milestone birthday. Here we are, 140 years later. And the work that he started and his predecessors and his successor is powerful and strong because of his dedication to stand up against the entire government, huge nation, secret police, soldiers, policemen, spies who were out to destroy religion. Where are we today? To take that stance in our lives, to stand up for what is right, and to do it with love, with humility, with dedication. And it certainly is, this coming Shabbos and Sunday, a time of incredible, incredible, powerful energy where we can tap in to love and self-sacrifice. It's not about if I stand up for myself and I shout, then good things will happen. We may be a scrawny chicken, but with arrogance, you lose everything. Those roosters, those chickens turned on each other. But the scrawny, gaunt chicken of Rabbi Yenis and Ibishitz plodded along, focused, and made it to the goal. We want to wish everybody a good Shabbos. And to remind everyone that the days are getting a little bit longer. We light our candles today at 10 minutes past 5. Please phone someone and remind them. Sarah, are you going to remind anybody to light candles? Let's think of someone. A good Shabbos, and we'll speak to you next week.